Well, as I said, today is Palm Sunday, the beginning of the Easter festival. We're a little behind in the Baptist church. A lot of other uh, faiths started this weeks ago at the beginning of Lent when they would give up something for this period. And, uh, but we kind of come into it a little bit late and Palm Sunday is the first day of, of the Easter week and it is the most critical week in the Christian calendar. And I like this theme. Last week we had our men's retreat, Rise Up. That's really the central theme of what we're going to talk about this morning. I called the message Palm Sunday Parallels. And as we read through the Palm Sunday account, we'll see that there are a lot of parallels between what was going on 2,000 years ago when Jesus was doing his triumphant journey into Jerusalem and to what we're experiencing today. And the, the other thing I think that you might notice as I go through this, there were a lot of what I might call minor miracles during that week. It's, it, there are certain times when you, when you read through the Bible when there's a, a period of intense spiritual activity. The birth of Christ was one of those times. Dreams and visions and all kinds of things going on. And Easter is another one of those times where it kind of starts off slow with what I call minor miracles, and maybe that's not the right name, and then obviously it ends up big with Jesus coming back from the dead and the ground breaking open and the dead coming alive and all kinds of strange stuff. But there's a lot of paranormal activity. So let me set the scene for Palm Sunday. Jesus has left Galilee. He's lived most of his life up in Galilee, which is about 100 or so miles north of Jerusalem. That was a safe place for him. He had begun his ministry in Jerusalem, but that was not a safe place for him because he stirred up a lot of jealousy with the church leaders. And right from early on in his ministry, their number one goal was, how do we get rid of this Jesus guy? So he goes up to Galilee, and and that's where most of his ministry takes place. But it's such an incredible ministry with all the miracles and everything else. Word spreads. And they knew about it all the way down in Jerusalem. You know, there's this guy up in in Galilee, there is Jesus is his name, and what, what's the deal with Jesus? But Jesus knew that if he went to Jerusalem, that would be it for him. He knew that they had been planning to arrest him and, and kill him. But he knows that that time is coming. This is what he came for, and he heads down to Jerusalem. This is what he said in Mark. Just, he wanted to make sure that his disciples understood. He says, on the way from Galilee to Jerusalem, he tells his disciples in plain terms what will happen. Listen, he said. We're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. And what was kind of incredible, we talked about this at the men's retreat last week, that when Jesus headed out of Galilee toward Jerusalem, he was ahead. He was marching in there, and the disciples were behind, the followers were behind, trying to keep keep up with him. They were all amazed. They knew what was going to happen, and Jesus resolutely is marching to Jerusalem. And he's explained it here. I mean, just put yourself in that situation for a minute. If I said, I need you to go to Denton, When you get there, you're going to be betrayed. 
You're going to be sentenced to die. You're going to be mocked, spit on, flogged with a whip, and then killed. Would you go to Denton? (laughs) So Jesus knew clearly what was going to happen to him here. And I, I don't really think that his disciples, even though they heard that, really yet fully understood what was happening here. So they're following him in, and and they get to this place near Jerusalem. Now, for the people, some of the parallels here. For the Jewish people, and the disciples in particular, they were living in times not unlike these. There was a great deal of uncertainty. We've been living in a lot of uncertainty, right? So they know this is going to happen to Jesus. They believe that Jesus is the chosen one, and they're not sure... how this kind of fits together. So there's, there's a level of uncertainty. We've just been through and we're still navigating our way through a worldwide pandemic. And just as you think that's winding down, you know, we can get back to whatever normal might be. A war comes up and it's a biggie. Unlike anything that we've seen since World War II and everybody's kind of got it on the back of their mind. Like what? How far does this go? It's kind of scary. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the future holds. Even if the war doesn't come here, is the economic system going to collapse? What's going to happen? And it's scary and it's unpredictable. And for the first time in many, many years, I worry about my grandkids. I worry about my children. What does does the future hold for them? It's, It's not the future that we had two years ago. It's so very different. It's uncertain and it's scary. I'm already praying for them. Like, God, what's it going to be like in 15 years for them? What will they face? That's exactly how it was back then for these people. They didn't know what the future held for their children, for their grandchildren. Mass deaths by disease was normal back then. They didn't have medicine that we have these days. And any time a virus or a bacteria would come up, it would just run rampant through the population. And, and it was absolutely common and normal for a family. You've got five, six kids and two that are dead. That was the normal experience for people back then. And then war. They had been overtaken by the Romans. Their whole country had been occupied, so they lived with this threat of war. They didn't know what the future held. What are the Romans going to do? They're kind of letting us live right now as we are, but what if they get upset? And the Romans do get upset. In 70 years' time, they completely destroy Jerusalem. They wipe Israel off the map. It was uncertainty, and they were scared just as we're uncertain and scared. And then another parallel, they were waiting for the first coming. They were looking for the Messiah to rescue them from this situation. We're looking to the second coming, aren't we? I hear a lot of people saying, are are these the signs of end time? So they were waiting for Jesus. We're waiting for Jesus. They were looking at the signs. We're looking at the signs. We read our Bibles. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be disease. Yeah, this is it. Maybe Jesus is coming soon. And that's exactly the situation that they were in. Maybe the Messiah is coming soon. They wanted the king to come. We want the king to come, don't we? Most of us. And there was an anticipation. There was an energy and there was an excitement on this Palm Sunday. It's like, here he is. 
Here's the man we've been waiting for. We've been all this uncertainty. We've been all this, this, this fear and everything. And, and now he is here. Our Savior is here. Everything is going to change now. Whoa, Jesus, come on, Jesus. And they're all excited. Could this be up? Could this be it? So we're going to pick up the story in Matthew chapter 21. It says, as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, and we're going to look at these parallels. They came to the town of Bethpage, which is on the Mount of Olives. For no apparent reason, I just decided to let you know that Bethpage means the house of unripe figs. That's why young Kenneth was picking figs with his dad. (laughs) As they came down from Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, the view of Jerusalem would have been spectacular. This is a modern view. But that, that would have been what they would see. And the, the big walls there, I've got a laser pointer here somewhere. These walls, oh, can you go back one, please? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> these walls, these are the walls of the temple. So Jesus would have been coming in in this direction, right into where the temple was, where all the action is. And it would have been hopping. It would have been packed. It's, it's the festival. It's, it is the celebration of, of the Passover, literally hundreds of thousands of people would be packed into Jerusalem at this time. So it's, it's a happening place. So as Jesus sent two of them on ahead, go into the village over there, he said, as soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them. And he will immediately let you take them. This is a fascinating event to me. And I kind of, you know, where I was thinking with, with the kids here. Now, some historians believe that maybe someone had gone ahead and told the family that Jesus is coming in and, and he's going to get your donkey. I, I don't believe that. I think this is one of those minor miracles. First off, what, what's going on? It's so random. Go into town and take a couple of donkeys. If anyone asks, just say the Lord needs them. And sure enough, Matthew doesn't show it, but Mark and Luke, somebody does. Hey, what you doing with those donkeys? The Lord needs them. Okay. That to me shows that it wasn't prearranged because they're asking questions here. Now put yourself in this situation, all right? It's like some random person coming to your house And saying, hey, I need to borrow your car. Can I have the keys, please? What are you going to say? Nope. So let's go to that next slide. This is a picture of of, of what my very first car looked like. It's like a box on wheels. And I kid you not, if you were going up a hill, people on bicycles would pass you. (laughs) Hitchhikers would be pushing. (laughs) But even that old wreck... If someone had come to my house and said, hey, I need your car, give me the keys. Nope. Or the Lord needs it. Yeah, right. Nope. <laughs> I mean, what are you, what, what you going to say? You're just not going to give your car keys to a random stranger, right? The Lord needs it. Yeah, right. I need it. I don't know about the Lord needs it. Not these people. For them to say yes to me is, is a minor miracle. What's going on? What, what did the Holy Spirit do in them that when these two people that they've never seen before come and start untying the donkeys 
And just as Jesus had told them, if anyone challenges you, just say, the Lord needs it, and they will say yes. Isn't that incredible? They'll say yes. And you've got to remember that a donkey for them is not just their mode of transportation. It's their means of income. They're given their means of income, and it's mom and, and the baby, the colt. The Lord needs your donkey. Okay, off you go then. That's the Holy Spirit at work. You know, side note here. Being sensitive to the Holy Spirit is so important in the Christian walk. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will tell you to do things, and it makes no sense to you. You know, sometimes we fight those things, don't we? No, 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 no. Especially if it's an inconvenience. It's like, is that really you, God? Nah, 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 I don't have to do that. It's important to be sensitive to God, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And when you know that it's from the Holy Spirit, you respond in a positive way, even if it doesn't make sense. It always doesn't always have to make sense. It says, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Kind of strange. What king comes riding into town on a baby donkey? It's not very glorious, is it? I mean, you could see coming in on a stallion, a big white stallion, like the guy from the, what was those commercials? Old Spice. I don't even remember that. Whole nother story. You know, just big, powerful horse. Here, come, here he comes. Or in a carriage, maybe. With people going ahead of it. People, You don't expect the king to come in. There's a donkey and a baby donkey, and the king sat on it. I'm a king. All hail the king. <laughs> a little underwhelming. It'd be like showing up for a date in that car I just showed you. Now, here's what's going on. Jesus is making two statements with this. He knows that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and his enemies, the church leaders, would be aware of that prophecy, Behold, your king comes riding on a donkey, on a colt. He knows that they would know that. So he's coming into Jerusalem on a cult, and he's giving them a message. Yes, I am the one. I am the Messiah. I am the answer to that prophecy years ago. You're right. I am who I say I am. I'm your Savior. And he's fulfilling this prophecy. And the second statement he's making is, I am Prince of Peace. I do not come as a king to overthrow your oppressors. I'm not riding in on a stallion with a big sword or a bow or anything else. I'm coming in as the Prince of Peace. I'm coming in humility. You see, they were looking for a David or a Joshua. He's going to come and kick some Roman behinds. And they didn't get it. They didn't understand what Jesus was doing or, or, or why Jesus would come in this manner. It says, The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him, and they threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Now, this is another minor miracle. Now, think about this. When you think of a donkey, what character trait comes to mind? 
Say it. Stubborn, right? Donkeys are stubborn. Now, this, the reason they had to take two donkeys is because this is a baby donkey that has never been ridden before. Better bring mom along. And they put the coats on the donkey, and Jesus gets on the donkey, and the donkey takes off into Jerusalem. I tell you, if you put a coat on a, on a donkey colt and you sat on it, it ain't going anywhere. It's either going to try and buck you off because it hasn't been broken or it's just going to sit there and somebody's going to be trying to pull that thing. You know, you've seen the picture. Come on, Jesus is coming. Give me a hand here. Jesus is coming. Guys, come on. (laughs) It's a minor miracle. He gets on this thing that's never had a person ride it before and off they go to Jerusalem. So the disciples put their coats on it, makeshift saddle, Jesus hops on, off they go. Now just a side note, this is the only time anywhere in Scripture where we see Jesus riding on anything. He walked everywhere, except for this one occasion, because he was making a statement on this occasion. He was sending a message, because today is a special day. The king is coming today. It says, Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Stay there. The laying down of coats was kind of a sign of submission, an acknowledgement that, that this person is important. I, give, I put my garment down so he doesn't get his feet muddy, even though he's on a cult. I don't want the cult to get its feet muddy muddy. And the waving of branches was symbolic of victory. When they had a victory, they would just wave. When the king came back with the troops, everybody's out waving the palm branches. Here comes our victors. Here comes our victors. So there was expectation. There was excitement. There was anticipation. Sweet victory is ours. The king has come. The king has come. Everything is going to change today. Now, you know, it said that most of the crowd, most of the crowd, not everybody in the crowd, his enemies were in the crowd. They're watching this as well. They're not laying down coats. They're not waving palms. It says Jesus was in the center of the procession. Now, this is not normal for Jesus. He's usually very humble. You know, he slip into town, slip out of town. So here he's sitting on this colt. He's a little bit higher than everybody else. And there are people in front of him. There are people behind him. There are people all around. He is center stage. It's Jesus. And all the people around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. He's making a big entrance. And he's backing his enemies into a corner with this statement he's making. It's a big, bold statement. I am the Messiah. I am the coming king. I am the one who is prophesied about. And and look at what the people are shouting. Praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. In some versions, they have Hosanna, which means he comes to save. He's our savior. He's the one who saves. 
He leaves his enemies no option. When he's making this statement, he leaves them no option. You're either going to have to acknowledge me for who I am, or you're going to have to deal with me. The time for just kind of, what are we going to do with Jesus is over. I'm coming into town as king. You're either going to turn to me, or you're going to turn away from me. You cannot leave it in neutral any longer. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, It is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. What a sight. What an incredible sight. The place is just hopping. It's packed. He comes in on a donkey right in beside the temple where everybody is. And and there's just mayhem going on. And everybody's asking, who's, what, who, who's this guy? Who's that? What, why is everybody gathered around? Who is this guy? It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Praise God for the son of David. Blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. Luke adds a little bit of detail. He says, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, so they acknowledge him as a teacher. He's not king. He's important. Teacher, rebuke your followers saying things like that. Tell them it's not true. Deny who you are. Didn't that happen at the beginning of his ministry? He replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Another minor miracle. I could shut them up if you want, but the rocks will sing. The rocks will cheer. That would be cool. He should have shut them up. (laughs) If I stop them, creation itself will begin to sing my praises. And by entering Jerusalem in this manner, he is asking a question. Who do you say I am? And it's a question that everybody has to answer. Who do you say I am? C.S. Lewis called it the trilemma. I've added one extra. He said he's either Lord, he's either a lunatic, or he's a liar. Can we go to the next slide, please? And I added one, legend. Some people would say Jesus never existed, that that story was just one fabricated by his followers for some weird reason. I cannot get my head around why anybody would fabricate this story. And history tells us that his followers, all of his disciples, were executed and killed, one upside down on a cross, one thrown into a pit of snakes, we believe. Why would you do that? If you're fabricating a story, it makes no sense. Is he a liar? If he is a liar, he's the worst liar that ever walked. Telling people that he is Jesus, but he's not really Jesus. What would be the motivation? They still nailed him to a cross. Is he a lunatic? Maybe. Maybe he's crazy. Maybe he thinks that he's the son of God. He's not really the son of God. The bit about coming back to life is kind of persuasive, though. (laughs) 
or he's Lord or he's who he said he was. And there's more written about him than any other person in all of history. It's absolutely fantastic. I don't want to get into it in in too much detail, but when you start looking at the numbers of historical books, there's there's not even a slight comparison of ancient texts. You know, Julius Caesar, I think there's like 10. Jesus literally has thousands of texts with his name in it. Why do you think that is? Because God wanted us to talk about it here today and in all those other churches all over the world. He wanted to make sure everybody would know who this man is. He is Jesus. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is exactly who he said he is. And every single person at some point is going to answer that question, who do you say I am? And it's such an incredible thing. You know, at the beginning of Easter here, kind of skipping ahead, I guess, I just love the fact that that the Bible teaches that the difference between spending eternity with God and spending eternity not with God has nothing to do with your behavior. Absolutely nothing to do with how good or how bad you are. In fact, Jesus even said those words. He said, I don't hold you accountable. I don't judge you if you don't do what I say. He said, but if you reject me, and my truth, you will be judged. So the difference between spending eternity with God in paradise and spending eternity separated from God is answering that question, who do you say I am? You are Jesus. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the forgiver of sins. And if you stood in front of Jesus Christ right now, if you stood in front of God the Father right now, and he said, who do you say my son is? What would you say? I believe he's the King of kings. I believe he's the Lord of lords. I believe he is who he says he is. And you know, you begin a journey with Jesus. You accept Jesus. You, you demonstrate to God that you believe that is true. By verbally acknowledging him. It says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say if you're good, you will be saved. If you're bad, you won't. Remember before I got into Christianity, I thought that was what it was. If you're good, good to go. If you're bad, not good to go. It was awesome when I got in and it's like, hey, it's got nothing to do with my behavior. Because I'm pretty much needing some grace. (laughs) I'm relying on grace. And that grace is given. I want to close with this. One last parallel I see between us now and the people back then. They began the week proclaiming Jesus. But when Jesus didn't fulfill their ideals or, or what they thought he should do or who he, who he should be, by the end of the week, they had devolved into chaos and fighting amongst themselves and darkness reigned and they rejected Jesus. And I see a similar trend now. The issues of the day, 
the last two years have caused division. We're divided like we've never been divided before. And sadly, I see that division in the church too. And I shared this at the retreat. I don't want to focus on fighting about masks or no masks. Or vaccine or no vaccine. Or conspiracies or no conspiracies. I've got something better to talk about. I want to talk about Jesus Christ. And this is where the parallel has to end. They said no to Jesus when he didn't fulfill their wants and their desires. We cannot be those people. If things don't go in the direction that we think that they ought to, what if the, what if the economy does collapse? What if there's another whole round of COVID? What if we end up in a war? We must remain faithful to Jesus. We must rise above it. We must still say yes to Jesus. You know what? It's time to make the main thing the main thing, isn't it? It's about Jesus. It's time to take it back. It's time to rise up above it. You know, people need hope. We have hope, don't we? I love the songs that they picked. It was like the message was, uh, I heard it being sang there this morning. We have a hope that lifts us beyond the darkness of these days. We have a hope that lives us beyond the circumstances that we might find ourselves in. We have a hope that unifies us. We have a hope that energizes us. We have a hope that strengthens us. We have a hope that gives us a purpose every morning when we get out of bed. We are here to build the kingdom of God. To share the good news of Jesus Christ with whoever he brings in our path. Whatever way he tells us to do that. We have a hope that brings joy in the middle of pain. We have a hope that brings joy in the middle of uncertainty. We have a hope that is eternal. That's a hope, isn't it? We have a hope that is not yet realized though. But it's coming. And we are called to be a light in the darkness. We're not called to be part of the darkness. We're called to be something that is different. There's a wonderful passage in 2 Corinthians that says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. Anyone feel fragile? It's a little fragile these days, isn't it? We are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from us. It's got to be God. Otherwise, I'd be curled up on the floor sucking my thumb wondering what's going to happen. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Though suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. In other words, we may be beaten, 
We may be battered by our circumstances, but inside of us is a light and a hope and a strength that comes from God that gives us the power and the ability to rise up above the circumstances around us. We are called to be bearers of hope, bearers of the good news. It's time to rise up. All hail the coming King. All hail the coming King. All hail the coming King. King, it's time to say yes to Jesus. I'm not going to let these circumstances bring me down. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. I am going to be a light in the dark. I'm not going to feed the dark. I will be a bringer of hope. I will declare the good news. Yes, yes, yes. In my sorrow, I'm trading my shame. I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord. I'm trading my sickness. I'm trading my pain. I'm laying it down for the joy of the Just a couple of 
announcements before we get started. For those who are online, thank you that you're with us today. For those that are here, thank you, family, for joining us at Lakeway. If you're new to Lakeway, in front of your seats is a, uh, uh, basically, we're welcome that you're here. We're glad that you're here. If you don't mind, just fill that out. And when you're exiting the building, you can actually put